Hi, I'm Dave Martinen. I'm the director of Fellowship International and a member of Church of the City and part of its leadership team. It's my privilege and really my pleasure to be able to teach you in this series from the Gospel of John that we're doing. And we come to John chapter 10, which has the words of Jesus really addressing the issue, not just of leadership in general, but of his leadership in particular. And leadership is a big issue in our day. Probably as never before, we're watching leaders in this season and we're either leaning in with confidence to what they're saying, or we're standing back and saying, really? Are they gonna be able to deliver on those promises? Are they gonna be able to be true to what it is they've said? Because that's the first test of leadership, is we want people who do what they say. Because the, the truth is, the more popular or preeminent that a leader becomes, the further away it seems they have to be removed from their people. They just can't be available to everyone. None of us would expect, for example, that we could just walk up to the front doors of Buckingham Palace and say we want an audience with Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and sit down and have tea. Wouldn't happen. Nor would we be able to go to Ottawa and knock on the door of the residence of the Prime Minister and have him accept us on personal one-on-one -on -one terms and have a frank conversation. Or to be able, for that matter, as Ontario uh, folks, to be able to go and see Doug Ford and say, we really want to challenge you or have a conversation, frankly, about the things that you're saying. Because we realize by necessity, the more prominent or preeminent or popular that a leader becomes, the further away they are from the people who are following them. But what we long for is that up close and personal touch from a person that we really trust. And so Jesus enters the scene and we've been following him in the gospel and he's not without controversy. And so in his own words, he addresses the issue of his leadership and his trustworthiness head on. He begins by saying in the first six verses of the gospel of John chapter 10, that he's the anticipated, the promised, the expected shepherd. He begins by saying to everyone that if you try and get into the sheepfold by any other means than through the front door, you're not really a, a person worthy of trust. He's saying to us, in effect, that he came as the predicted or the promised one. He hasn't been making his own way. He hasn't come on the scene with these outlandish promises, but he's actually fulfilled everything that has been said about him in the Old Testament. He is the most predicted, the most prophesied personality of all of the it starts way back in Genesis chapter 3, when men and women were actually at their worst. The, the first human couple, Adam and Eve, had failed miserably. As God is speaking into their lives, he says to them this amazing prophecy, that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent is going to strike his seal. It's a bit cryptic, but it really means is that someone is going to come as a deliverer, a promised one. And that's who Jesus claims to be. And he's recognized then by the doorkeeper in these first six verses. And what that means is he's not trying to find his own way or climb over the wall, but he's coming as the scripture has predicted, as the scripture has promised. He is the one who is fulfilling what is expected of him, what's required of him. As a matter of fact, it says that when he comes, he's going to be able to speak and his sheep will recognize his voice. 
and they'll follow him. It really says that Jesus wants the very wants to be the very kind of leader that all of us want. He speaks to each and every one of us as the sheep, and we follow him personally, and he knows us individually, but he also does this collectively for it. So both of these things are true. He is the prophesied and expected shepherd for all and for each in the flock. That's where he begins. He says, I'm the one. This is what I've come to do. But the second metaphor, he says, is not only am I the one who's come because I'm promised and I come through the right doorway and you can recognize me because I, I fulfill all the tests, I fulfill all the prophecies. But he actually comes with the second metaphor and he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the way by which they join my flock and they feel secure because I keep them safe. I give them pasture and I bring them back for protection. So those are the two things he does as the gatekeeper or actually as the gate, the one who gives them entrance, the one who brings them into the flock. He says, those are the first two things. I give you provision. I lead you out. You find green grass, good water, and I lead you in so that you've got protection. So the first promise he makes is, I'm the one I've come to fulfill. And the second promise that he makes is, and I'm going to give you the provision and the protection that you need, because I actually am the gate that makes you secure. We're safe with him. He leads us in. He protects us. Uh, we, we're not afraid of wounds or of hurts. His shepherding isn't that he comes and uses us to take advantage of us, to fulfill his own grandiose ideas of building some huge never-before-or-seen empire. But he comes for us personally, and he provides for us individually. For sheep being led by a shepherd, these two basic needs are what we all hunger for in a leader. Someone who will make us safe, someone who will give us direction, someone who will give us that provision. And that's the third thing that Jesus says to us in those next few verses of the chapter, uh, verses 11 onward. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Because he said that the other ones who come are the thieves or the hired help. And as soon as it gets to be challenging or difficult, um, they take off. Because they're not in it for what they do for the sheep, they're in it what they get from the sheep. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not saying, now listen to me, guys, because I am a really good guy. And if you hang out with me, I'm just going to prove to you how much I love you. You see that cliff over there? I'm going to go and I'm going to throw myself off it because I'm so much in love with you. I'm going to prove the extent of my love. Not at all. He doesn't kind of bundle us up and give us a nice pat and a nice little message and make us feel good. But he actually says this to us, the good shepherd means that he is the one in this chapter who is willing to lay his life down for the sheep. He's willing to do what no other shepherd has done before, which is not only to give us direction, but to give us the safety and the security that comes by restoring us to God. And he does so at his own personal cost. And when you think about it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's as our pastor loved to say, that's crazy. Because the value of human life and a sheep's life just don't equate. They're in totally different categories. But what Jesus says is, I so love you as my followers, my sheep that I am willing to make an exchange for you. 
which really goes back to this Old Testament concept of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. That what Jesus is really willing to do is to pay his life forward as the means of redeeming us, of covering our sin, of emptying the debt that we all have before God, of qualifying us to belong to his sheepfold. And that's when we listen to his voice, because his words ring true, because his words make sense, because we realize that we can't find our way. We can never prove ourselves to be good enough or great enough or perfect enough because we can't ever do God's law, God's word, God's expectation perfectly. And what Jesus says, I've got that covered. And so good in this passage of scripture isn't talking about affection or kindness. It's talking about sacrifice, what he's done for us. And that's why he's really worthy of trust because he doesn't ask anything from us until he's given absolutely everything that he is for us, his life for us. So a good shepherd who's come because he was promised and he's come the right way. A good shepherd because he's the one who leads us in and out. He gives us provision and protection. And a good shepherd because he lays his life down for the sheep. And he's adequate. He's got it covered for each of us and for all of us. Now, sometime later on the temple grounds in this chapter, the group of religious-focused individuals, Pharisees and the like, they come to him, and they're quite angry with Jesus. They're angry for a lot of different reasons. Most of it, actually, is anger over jealousy because more people are following and listening to Jesus than they are to them. But they're also angry because they're picking at his words because they really don't want to accept his message, which really means that we have to admit before God and the world we actually need someone to lead us and to guide us. And so they come to him and they're wrangling with him and they basically say to him, look, why don't you make it clear? If you really are the Messiah, why don't you tell us? And so Jesus meets them head on because they don't believe they need mercy or grace or forgiveness. They don't really believe they need a shepherd. They think they're pretty adequate in and of themselves. And he, he catches them in the wrangling because he said, he says to them, well, I, I've told you plainly who I am, but really, so have I shown you who I am? And he catches them at their words because they're so angry when he says that he is the son of God, that they pick up stones or they take fragments from the temple that are on the grounds and they pick them up and they're going to stone him. And he said, now, what is it you're going to stone me for? And they accuse him and say, because you're making yourself equal to be with God. And he said, well, don't you know the, the scripture? And he quotes probably from Psalm 82, which basically says this, that if we are the sons of God who have received the word of God and we call ourselves the sons of God because we've received his word, how is that different from what I'm saying? See, what Jesus was really saying to them as he was catching them in the wrangle of the words that you're partly right in that you think I'm claiming to be a son of God. But really, you're partly wrong because I'm not claiming to be God in some small diminutive sense or to be the servant of God only for a small facet. And then he turned the tables on him and said, so which of the works that I've done are you condemning me for? Because don't you see that the works that I do require a power that is greater than 
anything that you've ever seen. The eyes of the blind are open, the lame are healed. Which of those works? And what he really does at that point is he says, I couldn't do the things that I'm doing if it weren't for the Father who's in me and I'm in him. So he gives us this incredible picture. He, he basically says that um, I am the one who speaks to my sheep and my sheep follow me and they're in my hand and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. You can imagine us being in the hand right here that's stretched out. And then he says, it's the Father who's given them to me who is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I and my Father are one. So you can see this incredible word picture that he uses. That if we trust Jesus as our shepherd and we follow him, we are safe not only because of what Jesus has done for us, we're safe because of what the Father does for us in Christ. And then Jesus makes this incredible claim that the reason I can make the promises and keep them is because I really am who I claim to be. I'm God. And at that point, they pick up stones again, and they're ready to kill him all over again. Because he's defying them, he's challenging them, he's speaking into their lives about their need and about our need. You see, in this passage of Scripture, what we learn is we can trust Jesus as our shepherd, not because he's a way or a path or comes with a new idea, but because he fulfills perfectly what God has always designed. He fills perfectly the requirement that God has for our forgiveness and grace. He fulfills perfectly the role of a shepherd who makes and keeps the promises because of who he is and because of what he's done. He's laid down his life for us. So as we review this, these are the things that we take away. He is the promised shepherd who comes as he has been promised. And he is the gate to real life. He gives us protection and provision. And he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. And he's able to fulfill all of this because his nature isn't limited. He is indeed God in human form among us. He's not like an average human leader. He is God. And friends, that's the leader that we need. And that's the one that we celebrate today. We're going to celebrate communion. And I want to introduce it to you this way. That there are two simple elements that we're given. We're given bread. And we're given a cup. The bread represents the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. This is my body, which is given for you. And you should eat this in remembrance of me. So when it is that we take this bread and we give thanks to God for it, and we would break it and share it amongst ourselves, what we really remember is that it took all of God to redeem all of us. It took Jesus, the Lamb of God, who laid down his life for us. And so when we eat this bread, this is what we're really celebrating. There isn't one of us that is better or different, bigger or greater than the rest of us. 
each one of us needs all of Jesus to care for all of us. It cost him his life to be our Lord and Savior. And so when we eat this bread, we are showing his death because his death is the means of our forgiveness. His life for ours, an exchange is made. And when we eat this bread, we remember that it took the death of Jesus Christ for me to be forgiven. It's the great leveling of the church that all of us need the same grace. So let's just give thanks for this bread. Father, we are before you today because we realize that you are the very shepherd that we need. We can't demand this of you, but we desperately need it. And you didn't come because we asked, you came because there was no other means to free us except through the death of your own son, Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to pay this price so that we could be one, restored, forgiven, received as your children. We give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. The second element that we were given in communion is this cup. And the cup is what's called the New Covenant or the New Testament in the blood of Jesus. And the way it works is just like a will and testament. It's never read when someone's living. It's only read when someone dies. And when they die, then they pass on and we inherit everything that they want us to have. And when Jesus Christ died, what he did, what he does is he writes us into his will. And he basically says this to us. Father, I lay down my life so that Dave Martin can receive everything that I want to give to him. He's written into the will. And so when we take this cup and we give thanks for it, we are saying we believe that the only way that Jesus Christ could give us everything we need is through this new covenant, this new promise that again is based on his death and resurrection. The reason we know it works is because Jesus was raised from the dead. And as we take this cup and we give him thanks, we are saying, Father, I believe that the new covenant, the will, my inheritance is written in the Lamb's blood. So let's give thanks. Father God, thank you for this covenant. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which writes us into the Lamb's book of life and gives us every good thing that Jesus has desired that is ours. Thank you that we're written in. Thank you for the death of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And that's why it's written, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he